Good morning, everybody. Our key scripture this morning comes from the book of John, chapter 14. So if you want to open up your Bibles there, John chapter 14 will be in verses 15 through 20. John 14, 15 through 20. Jesus is uh, speaking to his disciples and he says, If you love me, keep my commands and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you." Have you ever had the experience uh, where you have tried to describe something that is more or less indescribable to someone else? Um, some of our friends uh, moved out here uh, from, I forget where they were from, Michi they're from Michigan and from that area, and they had they moved out here to California and they've lived here for probably eight years or so, and uh, they had never been to Yosemite. And so last summer, they were going to go to Yosemite, and uh, both Nisha and I grew up going to Yosemite all the time. And so, you know, I, I found myself in this position of trying to describe to these friends what Yosemite is like. Uh, and for those of you, uh, coming from this direction, you, you get to Yosemite a little bit different way than we did uh, from Fresno, or Fresyes, as my friend Zula likes to call it. Um, so you come up 41, and you come uh, in this, this different way, but you go through this tunnel, and when you come out of the tunnel, the entire valley is laid out in front of you. And you can see Half Dome, and you can, you're right next to you know, El Capitan, and you can see all this different stuff. And there's actually a turnout there, this really big parking lot turnout, because this is like you come through that tunnel, and then you see the entire thing for the first time. And the impulse that everyone has is to do what? To stop <laughs> right there and to take a picture and, and to look out at everything that's there. Now, I could try to describe what it looks like, but whatever words I use would be inadequate to tell them about what they would be seeing when they come out of that tunnel. And for those of you who have been there, you know the air smells different, uh, it just, it, it's just, it's an event if you've never been there before, or even if you have been there before. Coming out and seeing all of that, it's something that is hard for me to, to wrap any words around that can adequately tell someone what that is like. They just have to go and see it for themselves. Jesus finds himself at this really interesting place with his disciples because Jesus understands very, very well everything that is happening and going on and what's going to happen and what's going to go on. And he's trying to get his disciples to understand what's going to happen during this transition time where he knows he's going to be crucified and resurrected and go up to heaven and they know, or they don't know, but he knows that he's going to be gone from them, but he's going to come back and he's going to send the Spirit. And he knows all of this different stuff. And he's trying to explain it to the disciples. But the disciples have this problem, which is they don't understand what he's talking about. Um, and let's give them the benefit of the doubt. We can be kind of hard on these guys, but 
there's a reason why they can't really understand what he's talking about, and we need to appreciate that for just a second this morning, and that is this. God to them, as Jewish men, is something that is, God is so big, is so great, is the pillar of fire, is, is these different things, is so, God is so unapproachable and so this that when Jesus says, when you have seen me, you've seen the Father, they can't wrap their minds around what that actually means. And so what is their response when he says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, and they say, well, Jesus, show us the Father. And he's like, ugh, didn't I just tell you? If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. But Jesus wants them to know something here. He wants them to, to see something. And this is, he knows, I think, that, that, that all of this is hard for them to understand and hard for them to get, but he promises them something important. He says, there is a time coming when I leave and the Spirit comes and all of these things that you don't get are all of a sudden going to be made clear. Now, why is it or how is it that these things are going to become clear? What is it that makes that happen? What helps them to understand? This is the miracle of it to me. It is the Spirit of God coming down to live where? To live inside of them. Can you imagine for a second how this must have sounded to them at the time? That this God that they couldn't get even close to is going to live inside of them. And listen to these words here at the, again, the end again. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. And what's going to make all this realization happen? It is the Spirit of God living in them. Something we need to appreciate this morning is this. We may ask what the Spirit does and how it works and what's it going to do and can it do this and can it do that, but something we have to just appreciate this morning is that Jesus tells us that the Spirit of God, one of its primary roles in the life of those who follow Jesus, is to help them understand who God is, where God is, what God is doing, and it is the Spirit of God living in us that makes that clear. That helps us to get it. And unlike the disciples, we already live in the you-just-have-to-see-it moment where the Spirit is available to us to help us know God better and to understand what he is doing in this world. And that is a great blessing. Amen? Amen. If there are any kids still in the room, it's time for Children's Church. But I think they've started leaving at break, so it's just a... Uh... <clears throat> okay, so I uh, asked the kids this morning what they've talked about and what they've learned over the past few weeks. So a lot of you have, have been here. Um, some of you have not. Um, but I, 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 was, uh, I, I thought this morning we would do a little bit of review ourselves. So this is actually from, this material is from two weeks ago. 
uh, what we're going to go over right here. So we talked about that uh, the Holy Spirit is going to be an advocate, and it's going to be called the paraclete. Um, so these are some of the, the things that we could say about it. It is, it is the uh, advocate, comforter, companion, counselor, helper, friend, intercessor, strengthener, and uh, and other definitions that go with this word. It's made up of two different words, para, which means beside or along with, and kaleo, which means to call. Um, and uh, so one of the definitions of the paraclete is that it is one who is called beside or summoned to go along with you on uh, whatever it is. Uh, so keep going. So here are uh, some of the other uses that we find for it, and this is uh, para. Parakaleo is a word that Paul uses uh, a lot in his writings, and these are some of the definitions of that word, which is to urge, encourage, plead with, comfort, or exhort. Um, so lastly, uh, the, this is the definition that we decided we were going to use for the term paraclete. Uh, advocate, comforter, companion, guide, counselor, helper, friend, helping presence, intercessor, encourager, exhorter, supporter, advisor, and consoler. Uh, one who is called behind or beside or summoned, one who speaks up for us, one who speaks into the lives into lives to achieve a positive effect, one who offers assistance in a situation where help is needed. Okay, so who can repeat all that back to me? Where help is needed. Okay, now here's the thing, right? Uh, you were here. Some of you uh, have listened to the sermons online. If you were not here, uh, you've now seen it a couple of times. So why can't you remember everything that I've told you? That's what I want to know. Because, you know, I spend all this time trying to get this stuff ready for you, and you come in all loosey-goosey, like, hey, I'm going to remember what I want to remember, and I was hungry, Bryce, so come on, like, cut me some slack. Like, no, we are stopping that stuff right here, right here and now. Okay, so uh, what could you repeat from what you've now heard twice? Uh, wh what can you tell me back from that? Paraclete, good. What's that? Consoling, okay, right. We can we can probably hit some of the the highlights there, right? Maybe you can remember uh, to come alongside. Like maybe we're going to remember bits and pieces of this. Now, there's an irony that those of you who know me well, there's an irony about me getting onto you for not remembering things. And the reason why that is, is that I have a terrible memory. Um, now, I can remember a lot of very useless facts. Um, who was in a movie, who sang a song, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, but I can't remember uh, even the most, the most simple of things. So uh, Debbie and I have, you know, we have to write ourselves notes all the time in the office just to make sure that we remember, um, I don't know, <laughs> When do we eat lunch or <laughs> where we put a certain thing? I have, I have, a, this is true. I have alarms set on my phone to remind me to go get my children. <clears throat> and it's not because I don't love them or they don't matter to me. It's because I do love them and they do matter to me that I set these alarms. Uh, because if you are 45 seconds late picking up Jed, he is having someone call you. <laughs> um, the first day of school, uh, I, I, I had to, he moved to a different school site this year, and so I had to go get him, and I 
it's a, it's a slightly different traffic pattern to get to that place. So when he got out of class, I was at an intersection uh, a block away from Jed's school, and my phone rings. And it was uh, a friend's mom is like, so hey, Jed is here waiting. Are you on your way to get him? I'm like, I'm a, they just got out of class <laughs> like 45 seconds ago. So I set these alarms to help me remember things. But the fact that the reason why I had to set these alarms is because I'll be working on something or doing something and caught up in something else. And then I will look at the clock. And you know that feeling when you look at the clock and realize what you're missing at that moment, right? And you picture the judgmental eyes of your nine-year-old. <laughs> and you know, you know that you're going to hear about it. Um. So there are all these things that I have tried to do over time to help me remember stuff, whether it's writing notes or putting reminders on my computer or um, having stuff in my phone. Like The phone actually does help me, but I have to remember to use it to help me remember things also, right? It's, it's complicated. It's complicated getting me to do stuff and remember things. Um, but my problems are pretty small, really, compared to what the disciples were going to have to be dealing with as we've been looking at them here in John chapter 14. So that's where we're going to be again this morning. So if you have your Bibles, please open up there to John chapter 14. And um, I'm not going to uh, ask you to remember everything we talked about just last week, because um, I know that's a challenge as well. But uh, Jesus had promised the disciples that they were going to have the paraclete, the helper, the one who would come alongside them and be an advocate, a counselor, a friend, all these different things. And he had promised that they would not be alone, but that the presence of God, and this was the important thing that we covered last week, if you remember this, um, that Jesus says another helper, another advocate, another paraclete is coming. And this idea that the spirit that was coming to them was going to play the same function in their lives that Jesus played, that it was going to do all the same kinds of things. And remember, Jesus is powered by God's spirit, and the spirit, that same spirit, is coming to us. So he had promised that they would not be alone, that the presence of God, one just like himself, would be with them, and that's great. But there was a real difficult and practical issue that the disciples were going to have to face, and it was one that they were not adequately ready for. Um, because here's, here's the issue that, that was coming up. The disciples, as the followers of Jesus, who were they always with? They were always with Jesus. So who made all the decisions for them? Jesus did for the most part. You know, we don't know necessarily about every single day-to-day -day operation about the disciples, but we know that Jesus was deciding where to go and directing them to do different things, and he was constantly teaching them and telling them about the kingdom. Um, they always had Jesus to lead them and to tell them what to do. And, you know, every time basically that Jesus stopped to teach and to tell other people about who God is, what God is doing, all this different stuff, who was always there? The disciples, pretty much, again, were always there. They heard 
almost every word that Jesus had to say along the way. They heard everything that Jesus said to the crowds when he stopped to teach, um, and then Jesus had words that were just for them, things that he shared with them in private moments um, as they were going to different places, uh, all these different stuff. And it was clear, I mean, Jesus was their leader. Um, And if they had any questions about anything, and we see this sometimes happen within the gospel accounts, okay? So Jesus will tell a parable, right? And so the the parable of uh, the seeds or the soil is a good example of this. So Jesus tells this parable, and then we sort of have this cutaway scene where the disciples say, you know, well, what does this mean? And, and, and so we see these things going on that Jesus would sometimes say something to a bigger crowd of people and the disciples, because they're disciples of Jesus, have a chance to ask Jesus about this later. Hey, what was this? And can you explain this? And can you walk us through these different things? So Jesus really was, uh, it, it's, it's, it's something that's hard for me to wrap my mind around how all-encompassing their Jesus experience was. Um, from day-to-day decisions and choices to the mysteries of the kingdom of God. Okay, so Bryce, what's the problem? Well, the problem is, what happens then when Jesus is gone? What happens when Jesus is gone? Now, we have to remember, right, they don't believe that he's leaving. And they certainly don't believe that he's going to die. So they do not live in a world in which they perceive of having to continue on without Jesus. They, they, don't, they don't see that at all. So Jesus knows this is coming. Jesus knows that he is going to die, that he's going to be resurrected, that he's going to leave them. He knows what God is going to do to help them, but they don't really see how all of this is going to work. So what happens when Jesus is gone? Well, okay, so they have to figure out what they're going to do at that point. Like, do and th- think about it just in super practical terms, all right? Do they go back home? Can they go back home? Do they keep walking around and talking about Jesus? Um, uh, Because Jesus had started something big, and Jesus can see into what's going on. He had a following, and people were coming to listen to him and to see him perform miracles. And after Jesus was crucified and raised, there will be even more people who will want to know what Jesus was all about. There will be more people looking for answers and wanting to hear his teachings and what he said and how he said it and what he meant when he said this and is all this that I've heard about Jesus true? And when that happens, who are they going to go and ask the questions of? Well, I mean, if you want to know who Jesus was and what he was about, wouldn't you go to one of the 12 people that was with him all the time, right? Yeah, I'd want to go to them and know, but these guys, these guys, I mean, within this very conversation in John chapter 14, these guys demonstrate that they are not grasping 
not only the whole picture, but even just what Jesus is talking about right then. And the reason, again, as I mentioned earlier today, the reason why they can't grasp it is because the ideas that Jesus was talking about were really big and different and, you know, life-changing ideas. But they were going to have to be able to explain all of this stuff, the complication of Jesus being the Son of God, dying, being raised again, and now he's in heaven, and this is everything he said. These people are going to be called into the gap. They're going to have to be the ones to answer the questions, to be the ones that are responsible for carrying the mission of the kingdom and teaching and instructing all those who would come. And at least at this point in the gospel, I am not confident that they can do that. While they had heard everything that Jesus had said, again, they did not understand it all, and at times even dared to contradict Jesus and to tell Jesus, no, 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 no. That's not what you mean. You mean something different. So how were they going to be able to give the teaching that the crowds were going to want? What were they going to be able to say about Jesus? Now, this is something that we need to be able to identify with this morning, okay? And we can identify with this on a lot of different reasons. Um, for a lot of people, uh, getting up and speaking in front of others is like a major phobia, okay? I'm afraid of sharks because sharks eat you. So I don't know why, like, you would be afraid of just standing up in front of people. But hey, that's fine. I'm not judging. Yes, I am. But they are going to have to get up and do these kinds of things and say these kinds of things. So we understand that. But besides that, besides, okay, standing up and talking in front of people, I cannot tell you how many times I have talked with someone about sharing the gospel with someone else. And we, we've talked about this before. What is one of the reasons why people say, I, don't, I am not sharing the gospel? I, I'm not talking to someone about Jesus for this reason. Do you know what it is? I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say. And, and I think all of these other ideas that we might be able to mention, whether it's rejection or whatever, it all circles back to this idea. I don't know what to say. I don't know how to communicate to this person about the gospel. So we need to put ourselves in the disciples' place a little bit this morning. Because as much as we may be able to sit back and be like, well, if I was around Jesus all the time, I would certainly be ready to do X, Y, and Z. And yet in our very own lives, we don't do this. Right? So they are very much like us. And so perhaps the question that we are also looking to answer this morning is not just how are they going to be able to stand up and explain to people who Jesus is and what God is doing, but how does that work for us as well? Because these words that Jesus has are not just for the disciples, they are for us this morning too. And we are really, really fortunate because Jesus actually does have an answer for them as to how this is going to work. So in John chapter 14, verse 26, Jesus promised to send someone back to them who will help them. And here's what he says, but the counselor, 
The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Okay, so the Spirit is not just going to be the presence of God that is going to keep them connected to God. The Spirit will actually, and this is important, will actually equip them. He will actually equip the disciples, giving them all the tools that they need so that they can go out and speak about Jesus and about God and tell other people about what is going on. So he's going to, the Spirit is going to turn these students into teachers who are able to communicate about the gospel. So how is the Spirit going to do that? Well, the Spirit, like Jesus, is going to become their teacher. The Spirit will actually help them to better understand things and to remember things that Jesus has told them. Now, Jesus kind of alludes to this in the passage that we read last week when we talked about uh, the Spirit coming and living in his disciples. So from verses 18 through 20 of chapter 14, he says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live. You also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father and you are in me and I am in you. So remember that Jesus here was trying to explain to them kind of how this whole Let's call, it an, let's call it an ecosystem. How this entire ecosystem is going to work. Because they don't really see it yet. They don't really see how things are tied together and what's going to happen. And he's been telling them that uh, the Father and I are one. And so when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Well, show us the Father. Well, what is the way? And he's talking them through all of these things. And then he, he says these words here. And, and they don't really get it. But let's look at just verse 20 for a second. Because he's talking about when the Spirit is going to come back to them, and he says, on that day you will realize. On what day? When the Spirit of God is living inside of them, what will happen to them? They will understand. Their eyes will be opened to what is going on. Okay? Their eyes will be open to what is going on. They will understand. And in particular, what I like about this passage here is Jesus is saying, what is it that they will understand? What will they get? Oh. Yeah. God, Jesus, Spirit, us, Jesus. They're going to they're going to all of a sudden understand how these different things work and we actually have examples of this happening within scripture. Uh, keep your finger in John chapter 14, but if you want you can turn over to John chapter 2. John chapter 2 starting in verse 13. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found men selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple area, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, Get these out of here. How dare you turn my father's house into a market? His disciples remembered that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. Then the Jews demanded of him, 
What miraculous sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? Jesus answered them, destroy the temple and I will raise it again in three days. The Jews replied, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you are going to raise it in three days. But the temple he had spoken of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he has said. Then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. Okay, this is kind of a really interesting passage, in particular when we look at it in light of John 14. Okay, and, and without really, without making this connection, you know, maybe we've never made this connection before, but there's a few things that we need to, we need to look at this for a second. So number one, when Jesus says these words to them, do they understand what he means? No. Now, let's give them credit. There's a good reason why they don't understand what he means. Okay, there's a good reason. What is the good reason? It's new, it's a new idea, and it's a big idea, okay? What else? What's a good reason that they don't understand it? It's obscure, good. They don't know what he means by the temple, but they, that word temple is only gonna draw one image to their mind. And we, you actually see the crowd react to that. Oh, the temple, yes, that. You're telling me you're gonna destroy that after it took us all this time to build it. Way to go you. Okay, all right, so, so, but there's another something that hasn't happened, and that is they haven't seen the end of the story that Jesus is writing. And so there's really only one way they can hear this, which is Jesus is talking about the temple. Now, after Jesus is resurrected, what happens? They had insight, okay, they were able to understand, oh, that's what Jesus meant. Now, what is it that helps them have this insight? Part of, it is, part of it is just knowledge and experience and the things that have happened, but I think in light of what John says here in chapter 14, it's the Spirit that helps them to understand this. And here's how we know that it's the Spirit that helps them understand this. This is a God-given insight back into what Jesus has said and did. And they have been so obtuse to this point that I would not, <laughs> I would not say that they would look back and, he, and see temple and understand that Jesus is talking about himself. They, they might have, the, the, the disciples before the Spirit came might have still been waiting for the temple to be destroyed. Literally. And instead, it tells us that they have this insight later, and they believed, and this is, this is the thing, they recalled what he said, they believed the scripture and the words that, that Jesus had spoken. Okay, now, throughout John chapter 14, Jesus has said, if you love me, follow my commands. If you, if you love me, remember, you know, follow my teachings, do what I told you to do, follow me where I've told you to go. And this verse that is early on in John chapter 2, before we even get this, points to that very thing happening. They couldn't understand it when they first heard it. But later, when understanding comes, what do they see? It's not just what Jesus meant, but it's all of everything else that's attached to it. Because it says, they hear the words of Jesus they believe in what? 
They believe in the scripture and what Jesus had spoken. So they are making connections, bigger connections, to things that are happening once uh, Jesus has been resurrected and the Spirit comes. The Spirit helps them to see the things that they did not get the first time and helps them to understand the meaning of it, and the Spirit will teach them about what everything they saw and heard meant. So this is not a moment where it's like the disciples, through their own brain power, figured something out. It's not what we're seeing. We're seeing that through everything that God is doing and the ways that he's working, that he, they gain new understanding into these bigger things of what God is doing. So the Spirit will remind them of all that Jesus said. He will remind them of, about what Jesus taught about the kingdom. He will remind them about the things that uh, he said would happen to them. And under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, these uneducated men will see clearly for the first time what everything has been about. What, what an amazing gift that is from God. What an amazing gift that is from God. And as much as we uh, can talk about when the Spirit comes and how that changes things, the one thing that we cannot downplay or underappreciate is the fact that they understood for the first time like really, truly, deeply understood what it was that God was doing. And I can only imagine what a filling of the heart that must have been. Like how, how moving that must have been to experience that for the first time. And it's even better because we get to sit back and recognize they really need this. They really need this. And it's in God's plan all along to give it to them. They really need the Spirit to do this for them. And it's in God's plan all along to give it to them. And because of the Spirit's role, I think what Jesus is telling them here is that they don't need to be afraid of what's going to happen. They don't need to be worried about being left alone, but more than that, they don't have to worry about how are we going to figure all this out? What are we going to do? How are we going to handle, what are we going to say? They don't have to worry about it because the Spirit is going to be there. From John chapter 14, verse 27. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. That's an interesting term. I do not give to you as the world gives. Let me ask you this. How does the world give? You have to earn it, maybe. Yeah. Personal gain. Sure. Conditionally. Right. If the world gives, the world can also take it away. Right? And Jesus says here, I am not giving to you as the world gives. So then how is Jesus giving? Unconditionally? Something that is better and longer lasting? Even eternal? What Jesus is going to give to them is something that is different. It's different than how the world gives to them. And he says, I am going to give you my peace. 
I don't give as the world gives, so therefore do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. The disciples knew what to do when the time came because the Spirit was with them and it gave them peace. But beyond that, there is an effective part of the Spirit's teaching. There is something that it does for the followers of Jesus. Number one, uh, it gives them boldness and courage. And there are references throughout the book of Acts about that. Number two, they felt love, joy, and hope. Uh, Again, references for that. They discovered fresh confidence and renewed strength. And sure enough, they knew peace. These are all products of the Spirit working directly in their life throughout the story. And so here's why we need to focus on uh, these four things here for a second. That, the terminology that Jesus has used, this idea that the Spirit is going to help you remember everything that I said, what kind of an exercise does that sound like? Where does that happen? It happens up here, right? It's a head exercise. Um, it's a, uh, you know, I remember, and it feels like a memorization sort of thing. Like, like the Holy Spirit is going to help us recall facts. But when you actually look at what the Holy Spirit does, it is way, 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 way more than that. It's not only being able to recall something that Jesus said, it's being able to recall what Jesus meant. And it's internalizing what Jesus meant and understanding in your heart what Jesus meant when he talks about God's love or grace or forgiveness or what he's doing there and what he is offering to everyone. The Spirit instructed the head, but it also instructed the heart, shaping emotions and showing them how to react in all these difficult situations and helping them to live out the kingdom of God in this place without Jesus being there. And we have an example of this happening too, right? I mean, the most famous one, and I've even talked about it, is Peter in Acts chapter 2 who what the Holy Spirit comes, right? And all these people are drawn to the place when the Holy Spirit descends and there's tongues of fire and people are speaking in all these different languages. And Peter stands up in front of everyone and he gives a sermon that can only be described as the work of God. Now, remember we said that, that the Holy Spirit's going to help them understand and make connections? That's what Peter does in Acts chapter 2. He doesn't just say, you fools need to believe in Jesus. What he says is, here is what God has always been doing. Let's talk about David. Let's talk, he's seeing these connections to all these different things. And he gets to the end and he says, you are the ones that have killed this Jesus. And they're like, what can we do? Repent and be baptized, every one of you. In the name of the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. He gives them these words and they respond. You know why they respond? Because their hearts are moved. Because the gospel is not a checklist of things that you know. It's something you experience and feel and that changes you from the inside. So, What does this mean then about our experience with the Spirit? What does it mean for us to say that the Spirit teaches us? 
Now, when we uh, first started this study, I, I laid out for you uh, some of the issues that the churches of Christ in particular have had with the work of the Holy Spirit. And uh, again, just to repeat that back for you, one of the uh, historical, I guess you would say, views about the Holy Spirit is that the Holy Spirit is revealed through the Word of God, and that's the only place where you experience the Spirit. And so what I want us to do just for a second then is to think about that particular approach. If, if the Holy Spirit only works through the Word of God, if, if that's what it does, and that if, if your experience of the Spirit or knowledge of God is going to be through what you understand when you read, what are some potential hazards that come up with, with that particular idea? Okay, you're putting a limitation on it. Sure. What else? What are some, what are some challenges that might come that way? Which version are you going to use? That's right. That's a good one, Virgil. <laughs> That's a good one. Uh, okay, and, and let's just do the obvious one. What if Wayne and Wayne think a verse says two different things? Which Wayne do you believe? Which Wayne do you listen to? Right? How do you, how do you figure that out? Right? There is a certain... Um, we wouldn't like to admit this, but there is, a, there is too much subjectivity in the way that we read and understand. I mean, it's based on how we grew up, what we heard growing up, what our life has been like, what experiences we've had. All these different things inform how we just simply read something. And then if we're going to apply these ideas to be about life and salvation and eternity in heaven, well, it becomes that much more complicated because then it's like these things, we'll go to our, you know, we'll plant our flag on that hill because the issue is so important for us to, to stand up for and to stick up for. So I, that's one of the challenges that we that we have, and I mean, I have a lot of I have a lot of pastor friends on Facebook, and it's always really interesting to me. I have one in particular who likes to write about issues, and um, he always gets a ton of feedback from things that are positive, things that are negative. There's all these Facebook arguments, you know, the Facebook arguments about you know all this stuff, right? And he always goes in and finds those things, and there's always people that are on one side of an issue or another side of an issue, but when we, when, when we put the emphasis on what we know and how we understand it, well then, what does the Holy Spirit become about? It becomes about us and not really about God. I mean, think about it for a second. Do I really want all of this to be based on what I know and remember? Like, do I want the work of God to be dependent upon that in my life? Or let's just be honest, yours. No. Because I'm a dummy. <laughs> I don't need that. And what is so great about what Jesus is saying to the disciples is this. 
He's saying the Holy Spirit is going to live inside of you. And here's what is so amazing about that. We've talked about it in a lot of different elements and ways over the past few weeks, but I love this idea that the Holy Spirit, by living inside of us, is going to change us in the way that we think and feel and understand what God is doing. Not just what Jesus said, but all that God is doing in the world. And we've seen it already in the story of the disciples. That it wasn't just about them remembering what Jesus said. It was about them remembering what Jesus said and then understanding what Jesus meant and how the kingdom of God was taking shape and form. Now, we should study our Bibles. It is the word of God that instructs us and gives us direction and purpose. It gives us the words of Jesus. It gives us everything that we have here this morning. But we should not be afraid, we should not be afraid of the Holy Spirit living inside of us and speaking us and helping us understand as if that takes away from what the Word of God is. As if that somehow lessens Scripture. Because what Jesus is saying to his disciples is, it's not, the Holy Spirit is not just going to help you remember, it's going to help you understand. It's going to help you see. And you're going to see in ways that you never have before. It is a dynamic presence. And so for us, don't we want that same dynamic presence to be with us as we are studying the word of God. Because I need the presence of God to be in me as I study his word to help me see things that Bryce just would not see. Because you know what? That guy, Bryce, has got too much stuff going on. He can't even remember to go pick up his kids. Do you see? It's an amazing gift that Jesus gives to his disciples because he tells them, as you leave this place and go out and speak and teach, you don't have to do it alone. The Spirit of God will be with you, will give you boldness and peace and wisdom and you're going to know what to say. You're going to know what to say. Because as he said back in that passage, the Holy Spirit will remind you of everything. And on that day, you will realize that I am in the Father and you are in me and I am in you. Let's marvel for a second again that we are invited into this trinity. And that the Spirit of God lives in us. And if we, we need to be followers, though. We need to be students. We need to be taught. But Jesus promised that the Holy Spirit will help us understand and remember 
and know. And that needs to give us peace and confidence and boldness to go out and speak through the spirit of truth and speak truth into the lives of others. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I am grateful for your spirit because I know that I am not capable of doing things on my own. And God, as we work through how to listen to your spirit and what it means and what it does and how it works in our lives, God, we are thankful for your word which speaks to us and instructs us, which gives us more than a glimpse, Father, into your heart and what you're about. And I'm thankful for the Spirit, which helps us to understand your word better. So that as I read and see about who you are and what you've done, as I go out into the world, you're helping me through your Spirit to see how those around need you. How the truth matters to their lives. How I can live like Jesus in all moments, not just repeat what Jesus said. Your spirit does such great work in us in helping us to live this life. So may we rely on you and may we hear the leading of your spirit and follow it. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have any need for prayer or encouragement this morning, you want to know this God who loves you in an amazing way and wants to help you live a life that is empowered by him, we invite you to come forward as we stand and sing this song together. Everyone needs compassion.